You're listening to Privacy and Security Insights, brought to you by Picasso. Hello and welcome to Picasso podcast series, episode six. I'm Steve Wright, board member of the Picasso, and I am delighted uh, to be talking about data ethics, a question of trust. That has been kindly written by one of our other board members, Cameron Craig, who is the Global Head of Data Legal at HSBC. Welcome, Cameron. Thank you, Steve, and delighted to be here talking about this very interesting subject with you today. Thank you. And we are really excited. These episodes have been really fun, and we're just going to talk for the next 15 or so minutes uh, about your paper. Now, obviously, sure. some of the people listening uh, today would have clicked through to the podcast to to listen, and hopefully they've read the paper. It was a great paper, so thank yeah. you for that, Cameron. I'm going to start off with the sort of obvious question. What yeah. is data ethics, and how is data protection and data ethics different from each other? That's a question that I get asked yeah. a lot. So, yeah. Yeah, me too. Me too, Steve. I mean, there's many definitions of data ethics out there, but I think the the sort of fundamental essence of data ethics is really the consideration of the potential adverse impact on people in society of the collection, use and dissemination of data. So it's that potential adverse impact on people and society of the use of data. And how do you consider those issues uh, is really they, what what data ethics is to me. The difference between data ethics and data protection, which is becoming a bit of a cliche now, of course, is that <laughs> data protection answers the question, can you do something? Whereas data ethics answers the question, should you do something? And although there's a cliche now, I think it's actually pretty accurate. And it's something that and organizations use in practice to say, okay, that's what the law says. Can we do it? But nevertheless, should we be doing it? Data ethics is much more subjective than data protection, I think, Steve. And the question, mm. it, it really needs to align not just with the black letter of law, but also with the values of a business. So data ethics might mean different things to different businesses, to be honest. And also align with the behaviors that a business believes its customers would expect of them, its customers and other stakeholders would actually expect of them. So it really also, particularly in financial services, resonates with a number of other compliance considerations, such as conduct and consumer duty. And these things bring, I think, are really helpful in bringing a different perspective to the business when it's making its decisions. You know, I've heard people say when they're in product meetings, shall we introduce a retail product? Say, would you be happy selling this to your grandmother? You know, regardless of the raft <laughs> of financial services regs, would you be yeah. happy selling it to your grandmother? Should we be doing it? Which I think is it's quite a good way to take a step back and just think, what's the impacts of this? Is it what we want to be associated with as an organization? So I think that's in essence what the difference is. That's, that's great. Thanks, Cameron. That, that was really clear. And I think that came through in your paper, which was really good. But it, it is one of those questions that gets asked. And I think we come on to this with AI and, and chat GPT. Yeah. There are questions about these. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and should I? <laughs> um, so the next question is, uh, why is it crucial for businesses um, like yours to consider not only 
whether they can use certain yep. data types, but or whether they should. Why is that important for a business? Yeah, I, th I think it's important. Well, first of all, it's important to consider it because if we get it wrong, if we don't consider data ethics and we do behave in a way that customers would not expect us to behave, then it goes, as the paper says, really straight to the heart of customer trust, which is increasingly important for organizations, particularly as tech technology improves. There's a couple of stats mentioned in the paper that from the McKinsey report found that the majority of customers will act with their feet and they will specifically select companies that have a reputation for protecting data. And 40% of consumers said they would stop doing business with organizations if they didn't do it. So it's not yeah. just the regulatory fines, it's customer trust, which is like reputation. It takes a long time to build, but it's very easy to lose. So there's pretty big, pretty important reasons for doing it. And I think the reason we need to think afresh about it is, as we refer to in the paper, I mean, Steve, you, you and I have been around in data privacy for probably many years. And we'll look more too many to would, like, would like too to many, to too many, many to mention <laughs> We've seen some pretty seismic changes in the data privacy regulatory landscape, particularly with the GDPR in 2018. And businesses have expended huge amounts of resource and money preparing themselves to comply with that. But I think one of the things I mentioned in the paper, a lot of that work is really, because it's focused around the accountability requirements from the GDPR, a lot of it is really on process and making sure you've got the right records of data, making sure you've got processes for privacy impact assessments, all very necessary and helpful. But some might say that it can be, if it's not done properly, a bit of a box ticking exercise in some cases. So a lot of focus on process and it's easy for businesses to focus that on the, can we do it question? And it, you can sometimes miss if you're not careful, the should we do it question. So. I think there is a need to look at the data ethics question separately and think about how can we embed that culture into our organization at all levels of the life cycle. Yeah, great. Thanks. And suppose that this nicely chimes the next question, which was about some of those challenges. Yeah. We've read, and um, your paper alludes to the data ethics governance frameworks. But what, what would you say are some of those common challenges that you hear of or you see in implementing across such a framework? Where do you start? I mean, it, it must be quite hard, I imagine. It is It is a challenging, yeah, because it can be so subjective, it's quite difficult yeah. to put your finger on what we actually mean by this. And some of the ethics considerations are not always obvious, of, of course, and you do need to sit down and think a little bit more carefully about where can they arise. One of the obvious ones mentioned, what is bias? We need to think about that with sort of different hats on and different perspectives, whether it's cultural or uh, different ethnic groups might think bias is different. So you do need to think of, of that in the round. And of course, it can arise from a different, a number of sources. It's well documented that if they're using bad data that can introduce bias and bias can develop yep. over a life cycle so how do you measure that and who do you get to measure that because as i mentioned paper it can really be introduced at different points in the life cycle so if you have a, a sort of young programmer who's developing code for an algorithm how do you get into his head what the principles of bias are and how it could be yep. impacted by what he's doing so we, it's really getting that culture 
embedded in the organization at all stages of the life cycle. And I think that the other practical issue, Steve, from a sort of controls perspective is that it's because it's such a cross-cutting issue that it really does spread across a number of different, this sort of conventional, traditional control pillars, if you like, across your know, security and legal and compliance and people risk and model risk governance. So it's a bit like, how do you put in the new controls to think about data ethics at the right point across all of those pillars is quite a challenge. It's a bit like the challenge really governments are facing in trying to legislate for AI. How do you follow the European approach of having a new pillar of AI? And do you leverage and enhance the existing pillars, which I think is, to me, that's probably the right way to do it, but it needs a bit yeah. more thought to do yeah. it that way. Yeah. Um, so that, that's a sort of challenge really, which means in practice, you need a clear vision of what an organization wants to try and achieve and your know, coordination and leadership really across all of the different stakeholders to to make sure you're aiming for that common goal with them with a very much joined up approach and but i mean that's fascinating and is that one individual that can pull all that together or is that a, a team of people or is it sort of more disparate than even that you know is it sort of roles within people's existing roles or are there dedicated data ethics people that's in a large organization? Is that how it works or is it more people take some responsibility? I think it's a combination of all of that, okay. Steve, to be honest. Well, I don't think it is just one person, that's for sure, because it does cross-cutting nature of it. But what it does need is sort of relevant stakeholders getting together to develop a clear single vision of what they want okay. to do, what they're trying to achieve. And then once we've got that, I think inevitably it's a question of a lot of people changing what they do a little bit. For example, in the security assessments that we that organizations do for third-party suppliers, we need to think, okay, what's the extra bit we need to put in for ethics here? Or, I mean, ethics okay. is yeah. often is considered in the context of artificial intelligence now and particularly gen ai so what are the extra security bits that we need to put in place to consider these extra risks for the privacy for the teams doing privacy impact assessments what are the extra bits we need to consider ethics here as well as what are we doing even if it's just where do we need to escalate out of the existing processes so we have an ethics consideration so it's a little bit of a mix and then obviously it's i think an organization does need to either through training or from developing the expertise so that there is a function that really understands the ethics issue because it's something which is nuanced and it does present a new, as we mentioned earlier on, does, does present a new set of cons considerations that, that, that you do need the people with a, a right training to be available in expertise to try and answer those very thorny questions. Yeah, yeah, I can see how how hard that must be, and the like you said, the cultural. I I, I love your reference to the yeah. cultural part because that yeah. that's not going to happen overnight, right? We're talking no, no. not only process change, but you're talking about sort of behaviours and attitudes. Absolutely. So that's the yeah. key to it all. As I say on that, Steve, I think in financial services, there's already that sort of culture is starting to be embedded through the it's, it's sort of people dealing with conduct and consumer duty yeah. and thinking yeah. always thinking of the customer, what's the right outcome for the customer here? I think there's already that culture that we just need to sort of tap into and build 
data ethics fit into those considerations as well. No, that's uh, and uh, I mean that brings me nicely onto this next question. And we're racing through the time as always. It's so enjoyable these conversations. But what if you could name a few? What would be the benefits for organisations that do manage to successfully integrate ethics into their yeah. culture? Well, we were sort of alluding to it there. But what would you say yeah. were the sort of few benefits? Yeah, well, I think. Getting this right, Steve, I think it can be a huge enabler for business, to be honest. We've, we've sort of said before, compliance is one thing, but this is really an enabler for business. And the prize for businesses that do get this right will be the ability to fully embrace opportunities and technologies that are available to us now. Just a few stats in the paper about the amount of data that's very helpful. McKinsey report, the amount of data continues to increase at mind-numbing pace. And obviously with J, with J, the opportunities with yeah. Gen AI, everybody's, all businesses around the public sector, everybody's really keen to take advantage of the huge advantages. There's a couple of advantages in that sense, isn't it? Keen to take advantage of the opportunities <laughs> is what I would yeah, say. Yeah. Um, uh, and so, but we need to get this right to enable us to do that. So I think I see it as an enabler, uh, an enabler to take advantage of opportunities to build and uh, maintain customer trust and really be seen as um, businesses that customers can actually trust with their data, I think is going to be a huge advantage. I, th I think that's fantastic. So I've just got one last question and this always happens, Cameron, we always run out of time, but considering... You've alluded to it, right? Considering yeah. data ethics is a cross-cutting issue, multifunctional, jurisdictional. Um, what strategies would you say that businesses can employ to introduce effective controls and governance around this subject? Because I'm really interested in that. Yeah, well, I've set out in the paper, so I won't repeat them, that those. There's a set of five things that I've set out that you should principles or things that people could maybe think about doing but i think in terms of the i think you phrased that question slightly differently to the one I answered in the, in the paper but you know what can you do to make sure you've got the right controls mm -hmm. i think there is a sort of methodical process that one could follow here which is to look, really look at the new risks associated with data ethics right yeah. Such as the ones I've alluded to, such as the bias and with Gen AI, for example, hallucination and the new IP, all of the new types of risks that are not being addressed by the conventional questions looking at, can you do this? And then a process of effectively mapping those through to your existing control framework and saying, where should those be addressed? And effectively doing a sort of gap analysis and it enables you to then work out which controls in practice do I need to change? So that I think that's quite a good sort of process to follow. I mean, obviously, there's all the nuanced considerations that you need to do along that process. That's not going to answer the questions, but it does give you a, a sort of framework to follow, if you like, to try. I don't know if you've seen the AI audit uh, template tool yeah. kit. That's got that yeah. sort of list of potential risks that you need to guard against. So that's sort of one way to try and get a handle on it really once again that's for ai but ethics i think pretty linked to that it's a similar approach but for the training and awareness i would probably pull out steve to try and get everybody aware or try and get it really embed that culture which i know is something close to your heart but i think it's, it's an important thing to try and get embedded into the business to try and make it work cameron 
thank you so much. That was very insightful and that's really, great to great to really see you again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was good. Yeah. Lovely to have a chat. Thanks. Thanks very much. Thank you. I'm Steve Wright signing off here. Thank you to the team at Picasso. This is the Privacy and Security Insights podcast series. Please tune in for our next episode. And thanks for listening. Bye for now. Bye bye.